from um, verses 1 through 7. Today I want to talk about something that we all have in common. Every single one of us has this in common. And that is discouragement. All got it, been there, done that, gone through it, but some are still in it. We're going to talk about it tonight. Verse 1 says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the book the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Go ahead and have a seat tonight. I want to talk to you tonight, share with you, about the dangers of discouragement. For some, discouragement becomes a way of life. That is, if you talk to them today and they're discouraged, you come back in a week, they're still discouraged. You come back in a month, they're still discouraged. For some people, it's just a way of life, no matter what happens. It's a beautiful spring day. Oh, yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. (laughs) What a beautiful rainbow. Yeah, that's just because it rained. I mean, they have a way of looking everything negative. No matter what it is, they see that negative end. I remember being like that. I remember being so pessimistic that no matter what optimist came up, I always found something in there to be pessimistic about. Anybody in there with me? I know you don't want to raise your hands. (laughs) That's okay. I know who you are. (laughs) More importantly, God knows who you are. There's a, um, it's a true story of a planetarium in New York City that issued an invitation to all those who were interested in applying to be a part of the crew on the first journey to another planet. So they started taking applications. 18,000 applications came in in three days. 18,000. And they gave these applications to a panel of psychologists who examined them thoroughly and came to a conclusion that in all of these 18,000 applicants who wanted to be part of the first crew to get out of this world, to go to another planet, they wanted to because they were discouraged. They wanted to end their life here on Earth, and they hoped that if they went to another planet they would find a whole brand new life. How many in here would like to take off to another planet, leave everything here and say, I'm out of here? So many are so discouraged that they are ready to move to another planet. But I'm going to let you know something, that those who have actually gone on to greatness, those who have actually had great things take place in their life, 
discovered that when discouragement comes, that it is something that they have to defeat or it will defeat them. Every great person who has ever done anything that is of value that we can talk about today has been discouraged. Anybody who has ever achieved greatness in any sense of the word has always encountered discouragement. But we have to learn how to overcome discouragement. There was a man one day, true story, who was sitting on the porch in Kentucky, going back and forth in his rocking chair. He had just retired from the post office, and he's sitting there waiting for his first Social Security check. And he's so discouraged. He's just sitting there like, is this all life is going to be like? I'm just going to sit here and wait for my Social Security check now? It's all I'm going to do? What else can I do? This is my life? And then he said, you know what? I'm not going to settle for this. And so what he began to do is he began to make a list of all of the things that he had going for him, all the blessings that he had in his life, all the capabilities and capacities that he had. Now, he's a retired gentleman now. He's 65, and he's up there. But he wanted to write down the list of all the things that were unique about him, all the blessings that he had had. And this list was long, and he listed everything that he could think of. And then on this list, there was a fact that he wrote down, that he was the only person on the earth who knew the recipe of his mother's chicken. He was the only person. Nobody else knew it, just him. His mother had already died. And this particular chicken had 11 herbs and spices. So what he did is he went to a nearby restaurant and he asked if he could cook the chicken there. Pretty soon, it became the most popular item on the menu. What he did is he opened up a restaurant and then he opened up another one and he opened up another one and pretty soon he had a string of restaurants and eventually Harlan Sanders sold Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise to all of America. It happened when he was 65, when he finally retired a second time, because he already had retired when he was a postmaster. Now he retired again. When he retired from being the CEO of Kentucky Fried Chicken, he continued to be a customer public relations representative for a quarter of a million dollars a year until he died. He didn't hit it until after he was 65. But he would never have hit it had he let discouragement overwhelm him. He would have just sat there in his rocking chair and said, well, this is, I guess, what happens to 65-year-olds when they retire. They just kick it in their rocking chair. And they just look at all the dogs and people go by. You know some of you love to people watch. I like to people watch. I'm at the airport a lot. I love to watch people because I think people are fascinating. <laughs> they all think they're normal. <laughs> Here was a man, Harlan Sanders, who did not allow himself to be defeated by discouragement. The reason that a person is discouraged 
This is a hard thing to swallow. The reason a person is discouraged is because they choose to be discouraged. You choose it. You say, no, 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 but you should see the circumstances. You should see, I lost my job. You should see, my, you know, my car got in a, in a wreck and now it's totaled. You should see, and you're going to go all the way down the line of, you know, all the things that have happened to you. You still have a choice. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, you're losing your house, you're losing your car, your dog died, you have a choice. You can be discouraged or not. Colonel Sanders decided he was not going to sit in a rocking chair like other old people and fuss about the weather. They weren't, he wasn't going to sit in a rocking chair and fuss about all the high prices and the economy and how high things are, because that's kind of sometimes what we do. We just sit and complain. If you're sitting around and complaining, you're getting old. Sorry, you're getting old. We can take the sour lemons that are thrown at us, and with the help of God, we can make them into sweet lemonade. But it's up to you what you do with discouragement. Some of the most successful men and women who have ever lived use their discouragement to make them successful. They use that tool. They don't, you know, there are some people who get discouraged, and man, they just let it all out. Whoever is around, oh man, you're in trouble. Because when they get discouraged, they just vent and vent and vent. And it's pretty much all garbage because they're so discouraged. There was a, a young man who sold insurance. And he went after a real difficult customer. All these insurance agents at his office tried this one guy. Nobody could nail him down to buy an insurance policy. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him to buy an insurance policy. So eventually, he wore him down. He was on him, on him, on him. And he sold him a $50,000 insurance policy. This was back in, 19, in 1883. $50,000 was like... Uh, no, way more than a million. We're talking like about 100 million because this is 50,000 in 1883. So what he did, he's all excited. Oh, I sold this policy. Yes, nobody could do it, but I did it. I did it. So he, what he does is he gets out the policy. He gives it to the guy. He gets out his pen. He hands it to him to sign the contract. The pen doesn't work. It doesn't work. He kept on trying and trying, and there was nothing in it. There was no ink. And after the man tried several times to write, he finally handed the pen back to the insurance man, and he said, I think I better think this over just a little bit longer. He lost the sale. Talk about being discouraged. $50,000. He was discouraged. But you know what he did? He went home and he was determined that he would never lose another sale again because of a pen that didn't work. So what he did is he invented his own fountain pen. The man is called Lewis Waterman. You can only buy those fountain pens that are called Waterman. 
They are premier. They're expensive pens, and they're still around today from 1883 to 2008. The Waterman pen is still being sold. Why? Because a man said, you know what? I am not going to lose another sale. I am not going to let this discouragement overwhelm me. I am going to do something about it. Some of the greatest men have had to battle discouragement. One of them was the man that we just read about, Elijah. He was in a fix. He was in a predicament. I think you all know the story of Elijah, so I'm just going to kind of go over it real quick. But he was a man who was a prophet. He, out of all of the prophets, in the Old Testament, he was one that shined. He was one that was bold. He was one that was able to stand for his God despite whoever came his way. He was vocal about his God. He stood up to people. He commanded things of God that no other prophet did. He was a man who believed God, who had enough faith for a multitude of miracles. He raised the dead. He saw food continue to be provided for a widow. He came against 450 prophets, and he was able to see the glory of God. So this man, he had a showdown, probably at the OK Corral. The scripture that we read said that he said, there's not going to be any rain or any dew for three and a half years. Now what would happen if you said that? You turn around and you told someone, you know what, there's not going to be any rain or any dew for three and a half years. Do you think it would happen? Do you have that much power? Do you have that much connection with the man upstairs? You think he's going to do what you ask? Elijah had it. He said there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. No dew for three and a half years. Nothing. And the Bible says it happened. No rain. No dew. No moisture. Nothing for three and a half years. And it says here that Jezebel was really upset. She was so mad because the God of Israel was proving himself to be real. She served the God of Baal, the God of the storm, the God of the sun, the God of rain. That's who she served. And so when he said there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years, he was putting himself up against her God, his God, her God. And there was a battle going on, and his God was winning. And that's what made her so mad. And that's why she hated Elijah. She hated him because his God was more powerful than hers. She hated him because he came against her. He came against her God. He came against her beliefs. He came against everything that she lived for. He came against it, and so she hated him. And so when Elijah proposes a contract to determine whose God is greater, let's go up to the mountain. Let's, let's not go up to any mountain. Let's go up to the mountain where you worship your God, Baal. Let's go up there. And so he went up there, and he put all the odds in the favor of Baal. He said, let's worship our gods differently. He says, you worship your God, and you put all of these animals on an altar, 
and I'll let you pray. I'll let you do whatever you want. He says, 450 of you can pray. It'll just be me praying. You have 450 to one. You have everything there. Let's see who can bring down fire. See, he was the God of fire. He was the God of the sun. He was the God of rain. He was the God of all of that. And he says, let the fire come down. And they prayed, they cried, they pleaded, they cut themselves, they did everything so that their God, Baal, could prove himself real. And it didn't happen. So then Elijah said, okay, you did your thing, now let me do mine. He said, let's put water on this sacrifice. Let's make it even that much more harder. Let's, let's douse him. Let's put a moat of water all around this sacrifice. See, a Boy Scout would never do that. You're never going to start a fire when everything is drenched. But he did that. He put water, he drenched it, put a moat all around it, and then he prayed, God, prove yourself. Prove yourself. Here I am against 450 idol worshipers. Prove yourself. Fire came down from heaven. Consumed the sacrifice. And the contract said, if I win, you die. 450 idol prophets were killed. So not only did they lose, but they lost their life. They lost the contract. So that's why Jezebel was so upset because not only did, was her God not exalted, but she lost 450 of her prophets. Elijah knew that Israel had forsaken their God, but he was convinced that revival was going to break loose. And that's why he went into this contract against the idol prophets. So when people began to fall on their face and declare that the God of Elijah was a true and living God. Don't you think Elijah should have been happy? Don't you think he would have said, yes, finally, people believe in what I'm saying. Finally, the words that I'm saying, people can see that it comes true. Finally, and he should have been exalted. He should have been happy. He should have been, you know, just coming out of his skin because everything that he said happened. But it all turned around. He got scared because Jezebel said, I'm coming after you. Your life is over. This time tomorrow, you're dead. You're through. I got my hitman, and they're after you. He was on a spiritual high. And you know what the Bible says? I, it's really hard to describe because I wish there was a map here. But the Bible says that when Jezebel confronted him and told him that, he took off running. And the man ran from the top of Israel to the bottom. 90 miles he ran. I don't know where he got the stamina. I don't know where he got the ability to do that. But the Bible says that he ran 90 miles. I can't even run one let alone 90. He ran 90 miles. He was afraid. He was discouraged. He wanted out. 
when Elijah should have been transformed into this great man of God, he became a weak man of fear. Jezebel told her hand-pecked husband, Ahab, get the hitman after Elijah. So there's Elijah running. This is the same man that had the nerve to look at King Ahab in the eye and tell him it's not going to rain for three and a half years. This is the same man who had the nerve to confront 450 prophets of Baal. This is the same man who executed those 450 prophets of Baal. This is the same man who was so excited after God consumed the sacrifice with fire that he ran 90 miles. This man was not a sissy. He was not a, you know, he made 007 look like a sissy. But the threat of Jezebel sent him downhill. He knew that he had never been in such a predicament before where somebody hated him so much they wanted him dead. And the Bible says that he ran for his life. He didn't just run around the block. He didn't just run around the town. He didn't run to the next county. He ran to the north, to the southern part of the kingdom of Judah. 90 miles. Elijah was running from Jezebel. Shouldn't it have been the other way around? Jezebel running from Elijah? But no, he's running. Is Jezebel greater than God? Why was he acting like that? He got discouraged. This was a critical time in Elijah's life. What he needed to do was to stay at his post and solidify what had happened there on that mountain. But you know what? He deserted. He left. He got scared. He got discouraged. And there's a lot of churches that would go on to greatness if they wouldn't get discouraged. You know what's going to happen after this building is finished? The enemy is going to come in with discouragement. I, I already know because I've seen this happen so many times. There's an excitement to finish this building. There's an excitement to get there. And then once we get there, ah, uh, that's what happened when you moved into your new house. You were all excited to move in. Yes, I got new this and new this. And then after what, three, four months, you're like, ah. Eh. Your new car, you want to keep the new smell for how long? Don't eat in my car. Dust your feet off before you get in my car. Don't breathe. You're going to dirty my car. You're washing it. You're waxing it twice a day because it's brand new. You buy that new car smell to keep it. And then one time, one time, you let somebody eat in your car. You're just like, all right, just hold on to it. Just hold on to it. And what happens? You got a break. There goes your brand new car. And you're like, ah, all right, let's go to Jack in the Box. We're done. It's over. You just kind of get discouraged. You were all excited. And then you just, you get discouraged. It's a critical time. For us, as well as it was a critical time for Elijah, he should have stood his ground. And only God knows what would have happened, but he took off. 
he left. Why was this a critical time? Because once he left, once he took off, once he fled, Israel continued to decline spiritually. Now they had no prophet who was cheering them on, no prophet who was bringing the word of God, no prophet who was telling them, come on, we can do this, no prophet who was bringing them fresh revelation. No, he was scared, and he took off. And eventually Israel hit bottom. It would have been so different had Elijah never run. It would have been so different if Elijah would have stood up to this woman Jezebel. Why was Elijah so discouraged? How could a great prophet become so discouraged that you get to the point where you're sitting underneath a tree and you're just saying, just kill me. I just want to die. I don't even want to live anymore. How could you get from greatness all the way to just kill me? First of all, he allowed himself to become discouraged after a great victory. Some of you are going to have great victories in your life. You're going to have tremendous victories. You're going to overcome. And whenever you have a great victory, be aware. Be aware you're going to hit a wall. Whenever there is a great victory in your life, when you have overcome something, you're going to have an opportunity to get discouraged. Sometimes we just want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. But what's in between the mountaintops? Valleys. You got to go up. You got to go down. You got to go up. You got to go down. Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of skip? <laughs> mountaintop, mountaintop, mountaintop. That would be so nice. No, but the growth takes place when you're in the valley. Because it determines, your, your own discouragement determines how long you stay down here. You got to, come on, let's go. We can do this. Be that little, that little train. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> see, there's so many Christians who are emotional. You see them one day. They're praising the Lord. They're worshiping God. They're up here. And then the next week, they hit a wall. And now they're not here. They're not able to get through the valley. Some of them are even wishing they were dead. Elijah allowed himself to get weary spiritually, but also physically. You got to remember, he just ran 90 miles. How much energy does that take to run? I'll tell you how much energy it takes to run one mile. It takes a lot. But 90? He must have been physically exhausted. And what happens when you're physically exhausted? You're just like, I'm done. I'm through. I don't want to talk. I don't want to do anything. I just, just let me lie here. I just want to die. And that's exactly what he did. After running all that way, he just went under a juniper tree and just said, forget it. I, I don't want to do this anymore. When you don't take care of your body, that's one of the reasons why we started the Daniel Fast. I mean, there's a lot of reasons because we want to finish this building. We're waiting for God to provide for the rest of the monies to finish. We want to raise up that beam. You know, this is only temporary because we want to do this thing really nice, really, really nice. We bought 300 
more chairs, more purple chairs, so we could have some uniformity, that we're not a ghetto church here with all these different colors. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of things. But physically, when you get tired, you can get so discouraged. And the Daniel fast is what we're believing for for finances. But I'm also encouraging you to get on a Daniel fast for you. Because there are those of you in this room who desperately need a change in your diet. You're sick. You're tired. You're, you can't focus. You're, you're unable to have cognitive thinking from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next. You're not able to think through things. You know, your diet has a lot to do with it. You cannot think well and make good decisions on junk food. You just can't. It is literally impossible. You're too hyper, you're too all over the place, and you can't think through. And so a Daniel fast only puts healthy food in there. Try it out for 40 days. Jump on the bandwagon. So you missed a few days. It's okay. Come on. Just join us because you will feel the best you've ever felt. And it's only for, now you don't even have 40 days. Now you have like what, 34? 34 days. Who's counting? Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. It's for you. This Daniel fast is for you. It's dedicated to the Lord, but it's for you. And there are people in this room that I could call out right now that when they did the last Daniel fast, they're no longer taking their diabetic medicine. They no longer have high blood pressure. They now get a good night's sleep. A good night's sleep. Some of you don't, haven't had a good night's sleep in a long time. Your diet. You cannot eat a dinner at 11 o'clock at night and think you're going to sleep. Now let me just, I, I'm on a side note here. Okay, I'm just going to stay here for just a little bit. And I think I'm going to stay here a little bit because this was my husband. And, and this is what I would tell him because he would like to eat a full meal at night watching the news, watching sports. What happens when you eat late at night? You don't ever get a full night's rest. And the reason you don't get a full night's rest is because when you lie down and your stomach is full, your organs are continually working all night long to break down that food. So you don't get rest. Your organs don't get any rest. Your body doesn't get any rest. Sure, you're lying in bed. Sure, your eyes are closed. But you're not getting rest real rest because your body's working your organs are working your your liver is working your pancreas is working everything's working they need to close they need to go to sleep they really do so that you can wake up refreshed so you need to cut off your time when you eat so that you'll be eat good food don't eat late this is not a health class but uh but this is for your benefit but elijah this is why he was physically exhausted. And he got to that place, just kill me now. We all need a place where we can go and be with the Lord. I think it's really sad, really, really sad when we have Christians who are dependent on prescription medication. Dependent upon prescription medication to wake up, dependent upon medication to go to sleep. And you know what, Tylenol PM? It counts as prescription. 
Some of you say, oh, well, it's just over the counter. It's not a prescription. Okay, anything that puts you to sleep, that lulls you, that makes you drowsy, that you buy over the counter, it's a drug. And it's all habit forming. And you're probably saying, well, I'm not a drug addict. Let me look in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> See what you got. Prescription medication is not the way to go. Even over-the-counter stuff, you have to develop a conviction. I, I'm not going to tell you how to live. I'm just going to tell you that you're missing out on everything that God has for you that's pure. A real good night's sleep, not a drug-induced sleep, not a Tylenol PM help sleep or, or Somonex or whatever else they got out there. Yeah, Valiums, Oxycontins, all those things they help you go to sleep you need a place where you can be with God you need to get rid of all that stuff out of your out of your your uh, your medicine cabinet because none of that is bringing any glory to God it's not helping you you're stuck you're hooked some of you can't even go to sleep without that stuff how is that bringing glory to God you're not going to be able I think it's so sad when I hear of Christians having nervous breakdowns. Christians who are not able to have a relationship with God. Elijah is the closest person that we can see who came close to that. He came close to being so suicidal. Came to that point where he was so discouraged. Came to that point where he was like, wasn't worth anything, worth living anymore. He is the, the man in the Bible who came the closest to it. But the Bible said that God met him. God met him in his discouragement. God met him. Didn't ask him to do anything. All he told him was, just open your mouth and I'll feed you. I will feed you. All you got to do is just sit there and rest. And for some of you, you're going, 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 going. You need to rest. You need to rest in him. Not rest and kick it in front of the TV 24-7. Rest in him. Learn what it is to separate yourself in him. Separate yourself from the TV. Separate yourself from the radio. Separate yourself from the telephone, that cell phone. Man, you lived without it for so long, and all of a sudden, you can't live without it. Get some rest. Another thing that Elijah did that caused his discouragement is that he allowed Jezebel to become bigger than the God that he served. Jezebel represents any problem that you and I have. This finishing of the building will never be my Jezebel because God is always going to be bigger than this building. Always. Anytime that we allow our problems to become bigger than God, we have a problem. We have a big problem. If you, the lack of finances in your life is your problem and that's what you focus on and you're getting discouraged, then you're looking at your problem, and you're not looking at the problem solver. You're not looking at the one who, who can meet your need. Elijah allowed himself to think that he was stuck. He was actually stuck. And God had to remind him, you're not the only one I got. I got a lot of other people that are serving me. I got a lot of other people that want to do some great things. I want to do something in your life. Elijah, but you got to get up. You got to get up 
and you gotta move. You can't stay there. If you're gonna accomplish anything for God, you're gonna have to learn how to overcome discouragement in your life. I know that there's people who are discouraged. I've been discouraged, believe me, I have been there. When you don't even wanna get out of bed discouraged. When you don't even wanna, when you can't even sleep discouraged. When you're up at three and four and five in the morning saying, when am I gonna go to sleep? But this discouragement is like an overwhelming spirit that just, just takes you. And all you see is the negative, the negative, the negative. God wants to heal you today. He wants to just take out that spirit of discouragement. He wants to put a revival back in your heart. There's a story in the Chicago paper about a man and his wife who had a fight, major fight. And it got so bad that she began to run after him. And there he is. He's running because his wife is after him. She's got a knife. He's running. This is in Chicago. And as he was running, he looked ahead of him and he saw a wall. And he's like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? Well, in his running, he jumped over that six-foot wall. He jumped over it. And when they were doing a story on him, they said, what happened? He goes, I don't know. I saw the wall, I saw the wife, and I said, I'm going over. <laughs> he said he never realized he could jump so high. See, that's what God wants to teach you today. That when you look behind you, the enemy is there pursuing you. And you think you've got an obstacle in front of you. It's not that big. You think, I can't get over that. I can't jump that wall. I can't get past this discouragement. I can't do that. You'd be surprised what you can do when you just trust God. You can get over any wall. You can get over any financial difficulty. You can get over any marital breakdown. You can get over any relationship that has been broken. You can get over. You can get through. I'm a living testimony. You can do it. You can. And God wants to teach us that we can do all things through him. doesn't matter what you think you can do. It only matters what he can do through you. He can help you get through this monster called discouragement. He can get you get past it, but you have to be willing to climb the wall. You got to be willing to put the effort. You got to be willing to say, you know what? I am not going to lay down and die. I've got too much, too much for God to do in my life. Stand with me tonight. And as every head is bowed and every eye closed, I don't think I have to belabor an altar call. What I want to do is I just want to open up the altars for any of you tonight. You're saying, you know, I'm discouraged. I just don't know how to get past this. I'm struggling. Every time discouragement comes my way, I get stuck. And I take it out on other people. And tonight... I want you to be free. I want God to come in and just bring 
bring a spirit of revival back into your heart. Bring a spirit of revival. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage, it's your children, it's your ministry, it's your job, it's your home life, whatever it is, God can help you to overcome your fear of discouragement. The altars are open for you. Jesus, I will never let you go. 